0: The Indian School of Public Policy brings to you ISPP Insights, the podcast that aims at tracing the origins of the school, life at ISPP, and exploring the state of policy. Hi, and welcome to the inaugural episode of the ISPP podcast. I'm Ankita, and in our first episode, we have with us the Chairman and Mentor-in-Chief of ISPP, Louis Miranda. People like Lewis don't need an introduction, but for the uninitiated, Lewis Miranda is the Chairman of the Center for Civil Society and Coro. Lewis has been involved in setting up two highly successful companies, HDFC Bank and IDFC Private Equity. He spends his time with his wife connecting dots, using their networks to help the organizations they're connected with is also on the board of Educate Girls and co-founded Take Charge, a mentoring program for Catholic youth in Mumbai. Lewis graduated from the Booth School of Business, University of Chicago in 1989 and was recently awarded the 2021 Distinguished Alumni Award for Public Service from his alma mater. At ISPP, Lewis is the go-to person for our students and the team, always helping us define and redefine the answer for why we are here and not anywhere else. A very warm welcome to you,
1: Lewis. Thank you, Ankita, and good to be here,
0: Luis. You're always doing so many things, and we're so glad that you were able to fit this interview in your busy schedule. We're curious to know what's a typical day in the life of Luis Miranda.
1: There is no typical day, Ankita. Uh, every day is different, and that's what makes it interesting. And I, when I go to sleep at night, I look at my calendar for the next day to figure out, you know, what is it that I have the the next day, and it could range from, uh, you know discussing placements at ISPP, to then discussing issues of single women in Maratwada, then going on to discussing the challenges of schools in Nagaland, and uh, it's, that's why every day is different. And then we could be discussing something uh, on an investment proposal or discussing a health insurance issue with some other company. Every day is different. And When uh, the lockdown happened, I suddenly realized how chaotic life can be because you know, at at one organization, Coro, we were working on disaster relief and another place we were trying to work on succession planning. And uh, suddenly I was finding myself zooming from one meeting to another with no space to uh, to relax. And, uh, And that's when I realized I needed to create space for myself. So now I block out time in my calendar every day or uh, basically at least a couple of hours just to sort of you know, catch up on reading or to have a nap or just sort of in my space. Otherwise we find ourselves rushing through life. Also got to create space for family and uh, you know, try to sort of do some, put in some exercise during the day. So every day is different for me. That's what makes it interesting.
0: All right, Lewis. Lewis, in one of your interviews, you'd mentioned a time when you scraped through your 20s and 30s without any sleep, building two of the most successful companies that India has seen. What was Lewis Miranda like at 25?
1: Crazy. I've always been high on life. And, uh, and, that, and that's what makes it interesting. You know, the fact that there's always that adrenaline rush. And it's also maybe because I've been excited with what I'm doing. And every time I quit was when I would realize that the only reason to stay on was for the money. And that's, the, that's when it became dull and boring. And, uh, but you know, when I, I look back at, at life also, it was important to balance what we did at work and what I did outside work. And, uh, and, th- and that's what kept me going. So, so for example, when I was at Citibank, right at the bottom of the pyramid in the, in the bank, I'd be the first guy in the dealing room. I'd be the last guy out. And in between, I'd go and play rugby and i will come back and you know, carry on working. And on the weekends, I'd be at a party and then I'd leave at three o'clock in the morning and go home to sleep for a couple of hours because I had to teach kids Sunday school on Sunday morning. And then I'll be back at the party again at 11 o'clock. You know, so it was that rush always. And now, of course, I've grown older and I don't have the same energy. But the point was that irrespective of whether one had money and I was the lowest paid guy in my graduating class at Booth, the fact that you could that you you got to enjoy what you're doing is so important and i and i always get the family involved so at all the places that i've been in my wife knew my colleagues i knew my colleagues families our daughter when she was one year old i would take her to the bank and she would crawl all over the place and she grew up with these guys in the office and in fact there's a book written about hdfc bank by tamal bandopadhyay and in one and one of the chapters is called there's a baby on the trading floor it was about Mehika. how I would take her to the office and she would crawl all over. But that's what it is. I mean, you've got to enjoy life. I just, I, I guess I'm just excited about what I'm doing here. All right.
0: Lewis, you mentioned your low points and moments of setbacks from graduating in the time of a financial crisis to being amongst the lowest paid graduates in your graduating class. You still managed to build an outstanding career for yourself. Your professional journey is a lesson in resilience. How, do you do, how did you develop this mindset?
1: It, it's it may be retrofitting, but I, what comes to mind is, is something what some wise person said. I think they call it the serenity prayer, which is give me the serenity to accept things that I cannot change and the courage to change what I can and the wisdom to know the difference. And you know and once you figure that out, there's things which you know out of your control there's there's no point worrying about it. but things that you can control, that you can work on, you will bloody well work hard on that, and that's what's important. So, for example, when when I couldn't get a job, I was struggling to get a job way back in Booth. I mean, I, I worked hard, I met people, I wrote, etc., and i written about over a hundred letters. I got a hundred rejections, and uh, but you just keep plugging on, and and figuring out that you know you've got to do something at the end. And today, I find that a lot of people sometimes don't have that resilience to go and give up. They get six rejections and they say, oh, the world is against me. No, no, I have got rejected a lot. I've done fundraising and fundraising is a great way to sort of bash up your ego because you get said no so many times, but that's part of it. And I think the lesson really is for people to understand what's the worst that can happen. If you ask someone for something, the worst that can happen is they'll say no. And it's important also to not say no in anticipation of them saying no, let them say it. So, I always believe in asking the question uh and 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 letting someone else say no as opposed to me saying no to that opportunity i think it's also important to take risks i've taken i've been told that i'm crazy when coming back to in india in 89 i was told i was crazy quitting a foreign bank job to start hdfc bank in 94 i was told i was crazy uh trying to invest in infrastructure in 2002 it was crazy everybody said you can't make money investing in infrastructure and uh, you know quitting my job in, two, in 2010 and quitting full time working uh, to spend time with our kids uh, was was told i was crazy when we started ispp when we talked about it in 2018 we said it's crazy to be able to set it up in one year we did all of that so, you know so so i, I you know, so to, to me i just sort of realized that if you want to work on something you just work hard on it single purposely you know, and focus on it and keep figuring out. There will be roadblocks. There will be challenges along the way. But that's that's what makes it exciting. So whenever my friends grumble, colleagues grumble, oh, it's so difficult to do stuff in India. And I said, that's exactly why we had that opportunity. Because if it was easy, someone would have done it already. You know, so so all that difficulty over here we see is actually opportunity for us. Because others cannot do it. Others don't see that opportunity. When I was asked to be, to set up the infrastructure fund for IDFC, they'd already talked to two, three people. I don't know who they were, but they already talked to them and those people thought it was a stupid idea. I thought it was a great opportunity. And what's the worst that could happen? That I tried out for a couple of years, I'd fail totally. And then I'll go back to doing what I did earlier. So we worry too much about the downside. We don't realize that each of us are gonna live on average till about 75. What's two, three years of our life written off?
0: Louis? this reminded me of something that you'd written about once, about never negotiating with yourself. (laughs) (laughs) And always, always doing what you really want to do. Louis, you had the high-flying life, a very successful career in the banking, uh, in the financial
1: banking sector.
0: How did the segue into the social sector happen for you? What sparked
1: it? I guess it was partly my wife. And uh, Fiona uh, was a volunteer at an NGO called Akanksha. And, uh, and then, you know, very through them, they asked me whether I joined their board, which was what I, that was my first sort of formal uh, role in an, in an NGO. And then uh, she was a volunteer at an organization called Sneha. And uh, when I quit full time work, they asked me whether I'd come onto their board. And uh, that's really my segue into the social sector because of what uh, Fiona was doing. And then when when I quit in 2010, full-time work at IDFC, I had no plans of what I would do. I was clear what I would not do, which was I wouldn't start something on my own at that stage and I wouldn't do something full-time because the aim was to stay at home and traumatize my kids. And uh, and, uh, I couldn't sort of deviate from that purpose. But... I therefore met a lot of people. I had drank a lot of coffees. I got into all the coffee shops around my place. And uh, and really just talking to them about what I was thinking of, what they were doing in their organizations. And that's what created this interesting place. For example, I met up with Ajay Shah, who's a professor at uh, ISPP. And he was on the board of CCS at that time. And he said, listen, Lewis, you should, should got to meet Parth Shah at CCS. So I called, so he connected us and then I met up with Parth and and that created this entirely new journey for me through CCS and now at ISPP. So you know, so it's it's those conversations. That's really maybe uh, maybe we can talk a little later about this whole aspect of networking. But the last thing I want to say is that whatever I've done, I believe that there has to be a purpose to it. Uh, and it's not about making money. So HDFC Bank was about making banking accessible to India. Uh, Starting IDFC private equity was about making infrastructure world-class quality. Uh, starting ISPP was about creating a great sort of school, a world-class school to bring public policy uh, improvements into the country by democratizing it and also by building up state capacity. So there was always a larger purpose and it was always driven by the fact that how can we make this a better uh world for people of all types and characters. It's really that 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 difference. You know, how do you make it a better world, a more prosperous world? That drives me in whatever I've been doing for the last n number of years.
0: Louis, you mentioned meeting Ajay Shah and Path. Now I'm curious to know how did the idea of starting a policy school in Delhi come to be?
1: I guess that's really Path Shire. Uh you know it's interesting. We didn't know each other about eight years, till about eight years ago, yeah. And now we sort of, you know, are so joined at the hip. We're very different in ways. We're also very similar in ways. And I think that just worked, you know, great uh, as, a, as a partnership. So, so CCS, the Center for Civil Society, which Path started, uh, I think, in 97, uh, was, uh, uh, was this sort of, organization which worked on creating and teaching young people about what public policy is. And we ran something which you now call the CCS Academy. And the CCS Academy is, uh, runs these short programs about what public policy is. And when we engaged with our alumni a few years ago, on I think on our 20th anniversary, we asked them, you know, what has been what you liked at CCS the most. And they said, it's those sessions on public policy. And we've always been thinking, should we do a larger program? Should we run a public policy school? And the question I always had was, are there jobs? There's no point setting up a school if you can't get people employed. And uh, so in 2017, 18, we sort of realized there is a market for graduates in public policy. So why don't we get started off? And you know, and that's, well, that's what we did. And, you know, we talked about, you know, jobs, et cetera. What was like totally traumatic was our first batch graduating during COVID times when the economy was going through a spin. But, uh, well, more of that later, yeah. But, yeah, so it's really part, uh, and uh, some of the other people at CCS who came up with this idea. Then we, we spoke to uh, Subhashish Gangopadhyay, our founding dean. And, you know, and he came on board, and he brought in his network of faculty members, et cetera. And, you know, and it's just fabulous that so we needed to get someone who would head our academic advisory council, someone who had stature and would also push us and ask us the tough questions. So Parth and I went down to Pune. We met up with my old chairman, Vijay Kielkar, and, uh, and he said, sure, he'd do it, but he said, you need to get a good uh, vice chair also, and he suggested Shekhar Shah, so Shekhar came on board. And, you know, and then through all the various relationships that each of us have, we built out the team, and we've got this great bunch of people like you, and Sakshi and all the rest over here, out over here running the school and trying to build out something that when we look back 25 years later, we'll all be proud to say that we were part of the public policy revolution in the country. I will agree with that, Louis.
0: Um, Tell me, you've spoken about founding the school. What's been one of your favorite moments slash memories in the last two years of building ISPK?
1: I don't want to say a favorite one, but I want to throw a plethora of, of situations which, uh, which we can talk about. One was, I guess, the launch of our first cohort. And I remember that event that we had at uh, Constitution Club where uh, we had all our students over there together and all those smiling faces. And we were worried also that, you know, we've, we've, we've signed up 50 odd students and we've got to deliver on the promise that we made about the brand. But that was an exciting time. I guess the other one would be hanging out at the hostel that we had. It wasn't a great hostel, but you know, I'd go there and spend the nights over there and uh, catch up with them late at night, uh, sitting on the terrace or you know over breakfast and, uh, you know, and chatting up with the scholars, taking the bus with them across the campus. That was another great moment. Uh, the tying up with Harris, which was also something which is, you know, very exciting for us because we were the first public policy school in India to have tied up with one of the global public policy schools in the, in the world. And that was, you know, something unique. Uh, and then, you know, I guess when we struggle with placements, the fact that today we've got nearly our entire batch, our first batch placed, that again was one of those great moments where you said, you know, we struggle hard, we fought hard for it. And we made sure that our scholars got placed in jobs, which I think there will be great successes in. And finally, you know, it's a course that, a workshop that a friend of mine, Pradeep Mukherjee and I, uh, did at the, uh, as part of the Antarang Leadership Lab on what does success mean to you? And, you know, and the preparation for that, the nuances that Pradeep brought to the chapter, to the session, and then the interactions that we had and the comments made by our scholars After that, I think that also was one of the highlights of the last uh, couple of years at ISPP.
0: Louis, our founding batch was hit by the pandemic. The placement cycle, as you know, was a troublesome time at ISPP. You still still managed to effectively place 96% of the cohort. We saw you anchor the whole process without ever losing your calm or cool while also being available as a guide and a mentor to the scholars and the team. How did you manage to do that? How can you manage such high-pressure situations with such calm?
1: You know, one of my mentors told me this a long time ago, actually it's, yeah, it's 20 years ago, uh, I was sitting in his car and he took out this picture of Lord Ganesh in a small frame and he told me, Lewis, uh, keep this uh, on your desk and whenever you are hassled about something, look at it and remember what I'm going to tell you. And what he told me was, focus on the important things in life. And that, in, that advice which Shaker gave me way back 2001, this has been the most valuable advice I've been given. The challenge people need to do is figure out what is important for them. But once you figure that one out, The rest becomes easy. I felt at that time what was important was my wife and kids. That was important. So then suddenly, you know, if something was going to create me stress and I'm going to get a heart attack, it just wasn't worth it because it wasn't necessary. So there's no point. You go back to the serenity prayer. There's no point sort of, you know, trying to do things which you cannot change. Let's focus on what we can. So if a company says, I'm not going to come and recruit this year, I've frozen recruiting. Well, okay, let's move to the next company. Let's talk about other stuff. We talk to somebody about, you know, uh, recruiting. They go through the process and then say, okay, sorry, our board has decided that we've got to freeze recruiting. Okay, fine. Let's go to the next one. So, you know, so it is just all about being agile. Uh, I've been enough startups to realize that I'm used to being, dealing with uh, ambiguity. So something doesn't work. We move to the next one. We move to the next one. We know our end goal. Our end goal is to place all our scholars and let's sort of figure out what we can do. Uh, used the network a lot, Uh, you know, cajoled people, called on favors. Others did the same. I think to me, one of the big challenges we also had was managing the expectations of our graduating scholars because some of them didn't appreciate the fact that the world had changed. So when you got X before, to expect you to get two X at the end may not be possible in that environment or to believe that, you know, you're going to go out over there and be recruited by the best consulting firm in the world. Not going to happen. So it's really challenging with that, also and speaking to them, having those conversations. All that's important to be able to sort of get to us where we are. And you know, today we're we're happy, we're very excited actually. And finally, it's the work of the placements team. They did everything. They got flacked because you know from a lot of the scholars because you know there were everyone was frustrated. There was a lot of frustration around in the team, and and uh, and you know, fray tempers, people cursing each other writing nasty emails, WhatsApp messages, etc., and And that's part of life. And if you get that, absorb that serenity prayer, you become more serene yourself here. And, uh, and realize that, you know, things will work out. Things will work out. You just got to keep, you, you can't give up. You talked about resilience earlier. And you, you can't give up. You just got to keep pushing away, pushing away, pushing away. And uh, that's something I learned in rugby. You know, you have the scrum and you keep pushing, pushing, pushing to move forward. And that's what you got to do. There will be challenges.
0: I agree with that, Lewis, and I'm glad we could come out of that time successful and victorious. Lewis, you're an institution builder. We've seen you do amazing things across the board. However, nothing can be done in isolation. You've always highlighted the importance of strong associations and networks. What are your tips for networking and for choosing the correct partner in your personal and professional life? How does that tie into your approach of being resilient?
1: Okay, you know, some years I go, I realized that my core competency is connecting dots. I'm really the smartest guy in the deal. You know, there are much smarter people around uh, wherever I am. And uh, so, but my strength is this. And so uh, when you asked about, you know, what are the tips that I can have about, you know, building networks, one of my friends years back, a guy called Ashish Kareem Chandani, he asked me, we were, we were walking on Marine Drive, and he said, Louis. Can you come and talk to my team and I said okay I'll talk to your team about relationships etc and then I went to Fiona my wife and asked her you know what do I what do I talk about so anyway with her help I came up with this model which I call the force model of networking and and briefly I mean if you can you can join ISPP then you'll learn more about it but if you haven't joined ISP, then you can just get to know the acronym which stands for a combination of six factors six tools that uh, that I sort of found useful in my own life One was positivity. The second was hard work. The third is openness. The fourth is reliance slash trust. The fifth is consequences. And the sixth is empathy. And if you show this and you put all this together in this force of networking, it becomes very useful to do so. Uh, You talked about personal life. I think it's important to find a life partner who is your best friend. So when we celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary a few years ago you know someone asked me so what is it like to be married 25 years and, and i thought about it and I said, I know it's really, the fact that you found your best friend Have we had problems of course we've had problems Have we had arguments of course we've had arguments Have we sort of you know yelled at each other of course we have here yeah. but that's what friends do also right so so that's really important and and just remember i think the, the last one i want to talk about is is partly with this force model about openness is there will always be another point of view. And if you are open to the fact that there is another point of view, you suddenly realize that life becomes a lot more enjoyable because today we've become so illiberal, illiberal in our views that you know this, we are right and everybody else is wrong. And that's what creates challenges. That's what creates stress. That's what creates disharmony in relationships, etc. So Just be aware that you may not always be right or there may be two right answers or there may be two wrong answers but there's always another point of view and i learned that actually from my trading days at uh, in the in the dealing room in, in the bank where whenever you sold something it was always because there was someone willing to buy it so there's always a buyer and a seller so in, similarly in life there's always two sides of anything i would agree with that
0: lewis Um, Louis, there's a Toni Morrison quote that I really like. You're not the work you do, you're the person you are. And I have seen you exemplify that in more than one occasion. Louis, I've seen your inherent sense of joie de vie lift a lot of people out of situations of despair and gloom. How do you build a culture of positivity across the people and organizations that you work with?
1: I don't know. I'll have to ask Fiona to come up with a model of that also. I have no idea. But you know, I think it just comes naturally to me. I'm just one of the people who are positive. I believe that things will uh, you know, work out. But let me, let me try to remember okay, uh, one, of the, one of my colleagues, uh, a guy called Chandr Sethi, he worked for me at HDFC Bank, and then he was migrating to Canada. And he told me before he left, Lewis, you've been my toughest boss ever, but you've also been my fairest boss ever. And I think that's what's important. We need to get stuff done. So you gotta to be tough. I will push people. I will sort of, you know, keep asking for ridiculous things. I will send email messages at four o'clock in the morning. I'll be a jerk. But I will also then, you know, realize that if someone's going through a tough time, you create that space for them. You'll be nice to them. You'll be fair. Uh, because if you want to be successful, things have to get done here. But you, but you don't have to be only soft all the time. you got to care for people. you got to carry people around. And I think finally, it's just being transparent. You know even in my private equity days people would tell me the promoters we invested in would tell me Lewis, what we liked about you was the fact that you know you were you won't play games you would basically come up with and i'd wear it on my sleeve you know this is who i am this is what we want and uh, i just find it just easier to to live life i wasn't necessarily the smartest negotiator but you know i've i had fun we've been we've got to where we are today so so it's really about being transparent having trust Getting people to trust you. I tend to be a trusting person. And have I been let down in the past? Of course, I've been let down many times. But I'd rather do that than try to be distrusting of everyone all the time.
0: Louis, as part of your team, one of the things I admire the most about you is your attention to detail and the warmth that you bring to the table. How do you ensure everything stays on track and nothing slips? Uh, nothing slips off. Your never say no attitude is something that we have all witnessed and aim to emulate. What tips would you give to a youngster starting out?
1: My uh, my attention to detail is, 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 uh, is debatable. My wife thinks that my room is a mess. So she feels that I don't pay enough attention to detail. And on the other hand, my kids get fed up of me nagging them to do things. I guess one of the things I do is I take notes. So, you know, so even preparing for today's meeting, I don't take notes. When I go for a meeting, I take notes. Uh, and it serves in my case, uh, three reasons. One, it uh, it helps me stay focused because I tend to have attention deficiency. So I will be all over the place. So it tends to make me stay focused. And, uh, and secondly, it uh, helps me remember what was there. And uh, so that I can prepare notes to follow up on stuff. And finally, again, when I look back at six months later or nine months later, et cetera, uh, it helps me just sort of, you know, recap what we had agreed on in the, in the past There, yeah. There's a proof. There's some document about what we did. So one is taking notes. Second is something which I learned from a guy called Ram Charan many years ago, where he talked to one of his students as to how does that guy always sort of, you know, reinv- reinvent himself or, and that, and that former student of his said that, uh, every sort of weekend, uh, he would sit down and list down what have I learned new this week? And I think that's a great practice for everyone. I tell tell everyone to do that, you know, just sit down once a week and figure out what new thing have I learned this week. And if you find that you're not learning something new that we uh, over a period of say two, three weeks, you frankly wasted those two three weeks. There's always something new to learn. And that puts you on pressure because, you know, that's what makes life interesting about learning new things. And the advice, and the third bit of advice that give someone is focus on your CV. It's not about your money. Focus on your CV. What are the things that you can add on it? What are the skills that you can put onto it? How, what's the story you can tell a potential investor or a potential employer or whatever about yourself? The life your brain has to be like a sponge assimilating stuff soaking in things because that's really what your your real value is is not the money in your bank it's really what you bring to the table so why do people ask me for advice not everybody does some people don't many people don't but whoever does ask me for advice is because they believe that i can bring something to the table so that's really what i would tell uh, you know uh, people today uh, it's just you know the world is so exciting we can, okay, and I guess the last thing also would be that the world is actually getting to be a better place. You know, we've gone through COVID. Everyone is sort of you know, depressed about what a terrible world we are living in. But actually, over the last 100, 150, 200 years, the world has actually become better. People are living longer. We're having better quality of life, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I talk to the people in our communities, in, in these really uh, low-income communities we work with, in Guru, Maharashtra, et cetera, and they all talk about how their lives are much better than their parents were or their grandparents were. So we are living and it's easy to get sucked into this negativity all around us. And I think I guess the last point really would be to tell everyone just be positive. It's so important that the world is actually a better place. And if we, and it's, and it's by being positive we actually make this a better place for ourselves and we keep on perpetuating that.
0: Building on that, we come to our last question, Lewis. What would be your message for the young, aspiring change makers just starting out in the public policy space? For those who wish to start their own enterprise and the ones who wish to build a career in public policy, what parting words of wisdom would you like to give to them?
1: I guess it's just enjoy what you're doing. If you don't enjoy what you're doing, you shouldn't be doing it. There's a sort of quote which is there at at Chicago Booth uh, why are you here and not somewhere else? It's an art installation. And that's a question you've got to ask yourself periodically. Why are you here and not somewhere else? Because that helps you revalidate why you came into that place in the first place. And, you know, why you still need to be around or why they, whether it's time to move on. So enjoy what you're doing. And I'm not saying this because I'm sitting today with, you know, with a lot of money in the bank. I did this way back when I was the lowest paid guy in my graduating class at Booth in 89. It's always enjoy what you're doing because that's what sort of is important. Don't chase money. Money will chase you if you are successful over there. There was a study done at Harvard which extended over 70 years about what leads to a good life, et cetera. And what what the conclusion was, what's most important, this this is a study they did over the same bunch of people over 70 years. And some of them, I think one or two of them, one became a president of the United States, blah, blah, blah. And some of them didn't do well financially, et cetera. And what they realized in that study was it wasn't how much money you made that made you a happy person. It wasn't the designation that you sort of, you know, you worked at, which was, uh, which was important, but it was the, the quality of close relationships that you had, which made for a happy life. And that's something which I got to people. You know, it's, it's those friends you have who can be around you friends or family and you have those close relationships it's not having I mean, a large number that's not important but number of close relationships that you have which is important and finally don't have regrets don't, when, you, when you're on your deathbed you don't, don't have regrets in fact I've got this poster on my wall over here which I picked up in Sri Lanka it's on wood and it says in the end we only regret the chances we didn't take so don't have those regrets I think that's it enjoy what you're doing and uh, be crazy. Don't have any regrets. All right. With this,
0: we come to the close of our first ISPP podcast. Louis, thank you so much, as always. It was a pleasure, pleasure, pleasure speaking to you.
1: Thanks, Akita and Sakshi, for helping me put this together. And, uh, well, all the best to you guys. Thank you, Louis.